Welcome back to the Ceteris Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Eddie Gonzalez. I'm joined by my guy, KD Trey Five. We got a special guest this week. We have an 11 time All Star, a former MVP, a two time gold medalist, and in your second career, a four-time Emmy winner as well, right? Yeah, man. And I, did, I looked this up because I had to know, everybody calls you the shortest rebounding champion ever. I am. We got no way to verify that, you know? We had to do the tape measure, but I think you'll take that one, right? Hey, I, I am the shortest, because I, you know, I, everybody lies about their height. So I, everybody think I'm like 6'6", six, six, but I'm really 6'5". And the only other person in the conversation is Dennis Rodman. Everybody else has been a big guy who led the league in rebounding. So I'm very proud of that stat, that, that stat. Yeah, I like that one. So, yeah, obviously we're joined by my man Charles Barkley. How you living, man? Man, I'm good, man. You know, it's I get paid to watch basketball. I got the best job in the world. I mean, think about it. I get to watch uh, KD, LeBron, James, uh, well, not Ben Simmons, <laughs> Joel Embiid. <laughs> You know, I, you know, my hey, the Chicago Bulls, my sleeper pick uh, to do well in the East. It's nice seeing those guys do well. You know, uh, Steph is playing crazy again. Uh, uh, you know, the, the Lakers trying to figure out their issue. So I'm just watching basketball again, paid to watch it, man. I'm stealing money. Tell me the difference between the skill level in the league now and then, and when you first came into the league. Well, I think the skill level. It's, it's, it's some of the guys like yourself, LeBron. There are some guys who are just freaks. But we've always had freaks. I mean, uh, you know, Michael, Scotty, Kobe. Guys, there's always been freaks. I think the biggest difference is we just can't knock the hell out of guys anymore. Like, <laughs> like I used to tell people, when you played them damn bad boys, they were trying to hurt you. They were trying to put fear in your heart. They're like, and at a time... I, I always felt bad for some of the guys I played with because I'm like, they're not going to keep going in there. That's the one thing when we talk about the greatest ever. When when I watched that documentary uh, uh, on the Bulls, like, them boys were trying to kill Michael. But I know Michael well enough. He's like, nah, y'all can't. I'm going to keep coming. And you saw he went with his trainer, kept getting bigger and stronger. I think the, phys- the physicality to me is the biggest difference. Because you can't really hit and hurt guys like you did in our day. Uh, but there are certain guys who are just freak of natures. And, and KD, not just because I'm on his podcast, he's one of those guys. Like I say, um, uh, Russell Westbrook, he's a freak of nature. I mean, that dude is place. I mean, uh, but like, I'm trying to think. Like James, I don't look at James as great as he is offensively. Or, like, I don't look at him as a freak of nature. Um I'm trying to think around the league about great players who are just freaks. There's not that many guys who are freaks of nature or, or athletic ability. So do you guys think the game's better that way without that element, that physical element? Because that's what I wanted. Me as a fan, I do appreciate that. I do appreciate that kind of threat going into the lane like, yo, we really might knock you down. But this way, the, the game is faster. The game is more offensive oriented. Like yeah. we're seeing video game type stuff. Do you all think it's better? Like. I'm just a fan. You guys are there doing well, it. Well, well, Eddie, Eddie, you know, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to the question because it's kind of like when we watched the NFL today, like mm-hmm. <laughs> they're playing tag out there, you know. <laughs> they're playing like flag football out there. And I just, and I want to say better or worse because it'd be disrespectful. These guys are all great in basketball and football. 
but it's just different. Like, you know, Tom, Tom Brady, the greatest ever, said, well, it's like, it ain't fair out here now for the defense that they can't hit anybody. And like he said, I can play till I'm 50 more than likely. Like, he couldn't have played till he was 50 10, 15 years yeah. ago. They were knocking the hell out of people out yeah, there. Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't know. I, I said, listen, that that was really number one, Kevin. I didn't even congratulate you on the seventy-five team. Congrats to you too. Uh, seventy-five, congratulations. But but Eddie, the point I want to make about that is, I thought it would have been disrespectful for what those other guys accomplished and start taking those guys off that top fifty all time. I mean, clearly Kevin's a top fifty player. Right. He's, a, he's probably a top 10 to 15 player. But those guys, Bill Russell, John Havlicek, Dave Cowens, Dr. J, all, all those guys, they're the foundation of what we have today. So could could Bob Cousy, would he have his hands full in the NBA today? Hell yeah. <laughs> but I don't want to disrespect Bob because he was great in his day. And so... I never want to say the game is better. I just say it's different. What about you? You think that? Yeah, I mean that's a good way to put it. I feel I feel like as a fan watching the game is definitely better because you see more offense and it's less eighty to ninety point games and it's way more fun watching the one hundred and twenty to one hundred and twenty seven finish. You know what I'm saying? But as a player. Especially, well, this year they're starting to switch it up, but the last few years it was really hard to be physical on defense without it being a foul, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, and that sped our game up. That, that took away a little bit of the defensive intensity, you know. But in the playoffs, though, I think that's when you get back to real, you know, physical basketball. I'll say this. The one thing I don't like about the game today is they don't make adjustments. And what I mean by that is it's like, well, if we make our threes, we win. If we don't make our threes, we lose. I'm like, well, there's some other stuff in between <laughs> yeah. that y'all could actually do. Yeah. I mean, you can't just go out there and say, you, you can like, okay, well, how about, it's like uh, that Rocket team that missed 30, 30 straight threes. I'm like, why in the world would you take 30 straight, straight threes? That's just stupid. I mean, after you miss like the first 10, be like, yeah, maybe we should take the ball to the basket. But it's hard to stop shooting, though, if you generate in good three-point looks and they open, though. You get what I'm saying? That's what a lot of offenses are nowadays is to get to the paint, kick out for the three. Back in the day, though, yeah. the paint was so clogged. Them dudes wasn't kicking, shooting threes. They would shoot more mid-range. And they were sitting closer, too. And they were sitting yeah. close. You know what I mean? So if the, the floor is but if you But if you miss, if you miss 10, Kevin... As great a player as you are, if you miss 10, 12 shots in a row, you ain't just going to keep shooting no threes. Way. You're going to put getting, your head down and go to the basket. Yeah, I'm trying to get into something easy. You're right about that. <laughs> yes. I mean, you yeah, that, That's the only thing that drives me crazy. I was, <laughs> I was glad they took the 27 <laughs> in a row. <laughs> you benefited. You benefited exactly. quite a lot. But, you know, it's, it's definitely yeah. a – analytics plays a big part, too. I mean, because back in your, in your day, it wasn't really a numbers-based sport. Like, we talk about the analytics, like – Points per shot, uh, possession, like what is our defensive efficiency rating? Like we talk about that in the film sessions. I'm sure it wasn't like that when you was playing. Well, let me ask you a question. So you you believe in analytics? I believe it. I believe it plays a part. It can't be the whole thing. I mean, I think it's a balance in between all of it. What about you, Ted? Yeah, because you know, I, Eddie, I hate analytics. <laughs> but why? 
I, I, well, because, number one, I think they just made up some because the, all these rich dudes uh, who own these teams want to get a, they, they, they want to get a uh, son-in-law a job, <laughs> and they made up a name for it. Like, first of all, they're just stats, and I think stats are important. My problem with analytics is, I'm not, when's the last time a team won a championship that didn't have just a bunch of really, really good players? Analytics plays a part but it's best to have the best players. Yeah, it's true. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I said, yeah, you can't build your team by analytics or you'd have a bunch of uh, second-rate players because you can make the stats fit any way you want them to fit. I tell people, yeah, you better have some good damn players to go with that <laughs> analytics. No, you're That's right my only that. problem with analytics. You're right. Yeah. Jalen Rose says something. He says uh, positions are for people who don't understand the sport to better understand the sport. I feel like that about analytics sometimes too. Like people are trying to explain basketball to themselves. So they break it down into these very specific numbers. Yeah. And it's like, everybody doesn't see the game like that. So that's how I always look at it. Like it's helpful, but it's not the be all end all. That's my point. It, uh, listen, I'm, I am anti-analytics, but I do think they, first of all, they're just stats. They just gave it a name. It's kind of like um, yoga. Yoga's nothing but stretching. They just call it <laughs> yoga so they can charge more. Yoga's just stretching. They gave it a different name to charge, charge you for it. And statistics, they changed the name. Well, we're going to charge you for analytics now, and they just raised the price. But it's nothing but stats. That's yeah, all it is. Our game is simple, yo. I mean, it's, it's unpredictable, and sometimes the stats may lie. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So plus minus, I can have a great plus minus, but I know I play shitty that night. <laughs> I just with a good lineup, you know what I'm saying? So, like, it, it play a part. I think it helps to, you know, in, in development, too, with players, because if I'm looking at my percentages on from the corner three, or from the break at the three-point line, like, and I need to get better at that. And it's some stats I wouldn't even have thought of that they have now, you know what I'm saying? That's helping me get better. Chuck, they, they might have been telling you to shoot all kind of threes if you was <laughs> playing now. You're one of the guys, like, I would love to see it, you play in this era yeah. because 6'5", could rebound better than everybody, dribbles, runs the floor, you could shoot the three. You know they'd be making you shoot like 12 a night now. You know, see, you know, Eddie, you make up a great point. And, and that's another thing I hate about uh, quote unquote analytics. We got guys who shoot threes who shouldn't be shooting threes. <laughs> yes. Like, that, that, that's what drives me crazy. Like, wait a minute, man. You, you, you don't, like, if you're good at doing something, do it. Paul, uh, Paul Sala is one of my terrific coaches. Uh, he taught me a lot about basketball. He was playing for the Celtics. Red Arbeck says, Paul, why are you shooting the ball all the time? He says, I'm open. He says, yeah, that's the reason you're open. You can't shoot. <laughs> and, he says, he sa and he says, Paul, you're one of the best defensive players in the league, and you're one of the best rebounders in the league. Just do that. And it taught me a great lesson about when I'm watching players now. And he said, what is your NBA talent? What do you bring to the table? And I always say, like, okay, Charles, you're going to rebound and you're going to score. I wasn't a great defender, but I can rebound and score. I'm going to do that every single night. That's my NBA talent. But to get back to the analytics part, like, yo, man, you're not a great three-point shooter. Why are you shooting threes? And, uh, and I just tell guys, man, you got to learn, listen, analytics, okay, if you want to use it, that's fine. But it's best to do, hey, man, do what you do best. And don't try to do anything else. You, like Dennis Rodman, 
you know, Dennis Rodman, one of the greatest defenders, best rebounders ever. You're going to say, Dennis, we need you to shoot threes? <laughs> like, no, we don't need you to shoot threes, Dennis. Hey, you get us 17 rebounds a night and play great defense, we're going to win. And, and I say, no, just do what you do best. I want to go back to your first few years in the league. It's rare for a player to come into a league and you got Julius Irvin, Moses Malone, Mo Cheeks uh, on your team, learning from them early on. Like, what was the first few years like figuring out who you were as a player amongst those greats? Well, figuring it out was easy. I was never going to get the ball. (laughs) I just had to play. (laughs) I had to play defense and rebound. so it was great for me, though, Kevin, because Moses is a, the best thing ever happened to me because in college, I was 300 pounds. I was in college for three years. I led the league at elite rebounding every year I was in college, but I was about 295 to 298, somewhere in there the whole time. So, you know, I thought, as I tell people, high school shape ain't college shape. College shape ain't in the NBA shape. It's on a whole nother planet. So I get there, and I'm really, I'm the number five pick in the draft, and I'm not getting a play, to be honest with you, because I was just, uh, so Moses lived in the same building as me. And I asked him, I said, Moses, can I come up and talk to you after practice? And I said, he said, sure, big fella, sure, big fella. And I said, I went up, I said, Moses, uh, why am I not getting a play? And he said, young fella, you fat and you lazy. (laughs) And I'm like, what? He says, he says, you're lazy because you're fat. <laughs> and he said, Charles, you can't play basketball at 290, 300 pounds in the NBA. The guys are too good. And from that day forward, this guy changed my whole life. He said, son, I'll meet you first thing in the morning before practice. And I'll meet you after practice. And he said, let's lose 10 pounds. So he said, I lose 10. I'm 290. 280, now I'm starting to get to play. <laughs> 270, 260, now I'm starting to start. And we get down to 250. And I actually got to 240, but I had no strength and no energy. He said, you need to play at 250. And that changed the whole dynamic because I've seen guys eat their way out of the NBA yeah. or just – because if, you, if, you, if you're out of shape, you can't work hard enough against these guys in the NBA. They're just too good. So Moses, getting Moses, and I could have went to a shit organization and didn't have guys like that. Mm-hmm. And, like, and there are a lot of players who go to bad situations. I think their careers would be totally different if they had been around grown folks. And Dr. J taught me how to dress. He's like, son, we don't wear warm-up suits everywhere. We wear suits. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Okay, okay. You know, because you know, you ain't got you 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 ain't making no money your first year. You ain't just going out buying designer clothes. <laughs> so Moses, Mo, so Moses getting me in shape. Dr. J teaching me financial responsibility. He told me one day, he says, Charles, how many cars you got? I said, I got like five. He says, well, how many of those can you drive at the same time? I'm like, I don't understand what you mean. He says, why do you have five cars? I says, I didn't have a good reason. He says, son, take all those cars back and get one nice car. He says, this money you make, you got 
$400,000 sitting around your driveway, that money going to be worth millions in 5, 10, 15. And, he, and it taught me a lesson. I tell these young guys, yo, man, you can have one car. You can have one house. That's it. And save your money because no matter how great you are at basketball, it's only going to be this small percentage of your life. Yeah. It's, you know, as great as Kevin is, more than likely he's going to be retired at 40 and he's going to still be a young guy that got, and, and like he's made lifetime money. Like in my day, you know, you play X amount of years. I tell people, I played for 16 years. The most money I ever made was $5 million by last year. And so whatever money and listen, and, and I made more than Dr. J and he's one of the greatest ever. But the money you make, you got to save that. It's got to last you the rest of your life. Yeah. But getting drafted, getting drafted by all those old guys, Kevin, was a great thing for me because I was lazy and I was fat. And if Moses hadn't have taken me under his wing, you know what I'd be saying? Welcome to McDonald's. <laughs> Can I hear me, please? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that would have been my damn job. Yeah. I mean, because like I say, it, 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 at 300 pounds, I could not work hard enough against NBA players. And if I didn't get that weight off of me, I would have been out. Who was your vets showed you around? I know one one guy we both know likes to take some credit for that. But who was your vets when you got to the league? What guy are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Big Perk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, see, I'm thinking of like Kurt Thomas, like Donnell Marshall, Adrian Griffin. Yeah, yeah, they was real, like my rookie year. Um, Francisco Elson, you know, got Wally Zerbiak. They kind of introduced me to like what it, what it means to work as an NBA player. Like you said, you have an idea in college, in high school, of what it means to like work out the practice and how to practice hard. But once yeah. you get into the league and you got six months of this every day, 82 games, you yeah. got to condition your mind and your body. And having older dudes who've been through the grind, that's, it definitely helped. One of my big gripes with the NBA today is you know, he talked like I have all I, I don't I, I don't even know Kurt Thomas, but I've always liked him, you know, because he just seemed like a, a good grounded dude who worked hard, didn't bother anybody. I've always admired him for that. I know Wally Zerbeck a little bit, but like my point was the one thing I hate about the NBA today is they don't have a, a, a they need a veteran liaison. Who these young, I mean, because because these kids are so young now, I stayed in college for three years. Nobody stays in college for three years anymore. <laughs> yeah. When you're 17, 18, 19, 20, you don't know your ass from a hole in the ground. <laughs> yeah. And I would have, I would love for to have a guy like Moses, Kurt Thomas on every team. Yep. Just like, hey, you can have private conversation with this guy about anything. It's private. Because the number one thing I tell these dudes, yo, man, do not start taking care of all your family and friends. Because you're going to go broke quickly and it's going to ruin all your relationships. The, one of the best ladies I ever met was Grant Hill's mom. She's just an amazing lady. Her name is Janet. She was actually roommates with Hillary Clinton in college. But her and her husband, Kevin, are two of the greatest people I've ever met. So I'm at the Olympics in 96. And we're having dinner. And Calvin says, oh, well, I'm going back to work tomorrow. I says, Grant just signed for $100 million. Why y'all working? <laughs> and she said, Charles, stay here. Let me talk to you. And she says, do not 
This is one piece of advice I'm going to give you. She said, do not start taking care of all your family and friends. You're going to go broke. But the worst thing is going to ruin every relationship. And I said, Miss Hill, I don't understand. She, she said, Charles, I tell you, young guys, especially young black guys, this do not start taking care of your family because, number one, you become an enabler. But it ruins your dynamic of your family because no matter how much you give them, it's never enough. It's never enough. And the first time, not the second, third time, the first time you tell them no, they hate you forever. I had to learn that the hard way. And that's the one thing I teach these young guys today, man. And Oprah told me that too. She says, anytime you give somebody money, you're not, presume you're not getting it back. <laughs> you know, she, she says, when somebody said they want to borrow money, when you make the decision to give them money, you have to say to yourself, I'm never going to see that again. But learning from things like that, man, I think uh, having an older guy, because like I said, you got a kid who's only been in college for six months to a year. You know, number one, he, he thinks everybody around him is his friend. And when he starts getting those checks, they're going to be coming out the woodwork. I mean, you see those stories with people who win the lottery and they're like, <laughs> they, and they broke after like two or three years because everybody in the world comes for them. That's is like tenfold when you play sports. And they're like people reading the paper how much money you make. And my friends just say to me, man, I read where you make $2 million. I said, yo, man. I don't get the whole $2 million. And a lot of people don't even understand. I said, yo, man, I have to pay taxes. I got to pay my agent. I got to live. That little $2 million you saw, by the time I get it, it's a few hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, straight up. And, but your family and friends, they don't even think about that, and they don't even care. When you guys become that vet lady in your career, you took pride in that role? And No, I, I think it's really important because, I, I, uh, Eddie, I tell you this. Nothing, nothing can compare, prepare you for stardom. Nothing. Uh, no, like, no matter how much success you had in high school, how much success you have in college, when you become a full-blown star in the NBA, your life has changed. Like, everybody knows you. Everybody's coming after you. You got to do all the interviews. You're going to get all the credit. You're going to get all the blame. It's a lot. And you need a really good support system around you to say, no, Kevin, no, Charles, no, Eddie. Because you have to understand something. Everybody around you is on the payroll. They very seldom going to tell you no because they don't want to mess up their food truck. So it's really important when you're successful to have a really good people around you say, yeah, Kevin, I don't think you should be doing that. Eddie, I don't think you should be doing that. Chuck, I don't think you should be doing that. But like I say, you see a lot of people getting in trouble because the people around them like, I'm not going to piss him off. He's paying all my bills. <laughs> you know, I mean, so you have to really be careful that, because, man, this fame thing, you know, I'm watching TV and I'm watching Bleacher Report and things and some of this mean stuff that people are saying about celebrities and they ain't even met them in their life. It's just like, I'm, my life suck. I'm going to try to make their life suck. That's why I do zero social media because, yeah, man, your life suck because of you. <laughs> why are you writing bad stuff about me? Why are you, I mean, and I, I'm not bothering you. And because that's what I think it is. 
Because I never said to myself, let me take the time to say something mean about a celebrity. Like, what kind of idiot does that? <laughs> you ain't never met Ke- you ain't never met Kevin Durant. You ain't never met Charles Barker. You ain't never met uh, uh, LeBron or uh, Kim Kardashian. Uh, but you took the time to write something mean and nasty about them because your life suck. Like, so that's why I don't do social media at all. I think you would kill on social media. Though. I think you would too. I think they would love you on yeah, social media. Yeah, but let me tell you. Yeah, but but the problem we got now, Kev and Eddie, is people can say whatever they want to 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 to, to us. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you say something or I say something, we gonna get in trouble. <laughs> and I always tell people, is it a double standard? One hundred percent. But the way, especially now especially the way things are now. There's been this thing the last few years, like, we trying to cancel everybody. I'm like, yo, man, he said that to me. Yeah, but you can't say that to him. And that's why I, I'm never going to open myself up to that. Because, yo, man, these people out here, they, they, they are vicious. Um, um, but I was like, well, I don't, I'm not going to give them access to me. Because like I say, because everybody, listen, every, everybody wants to be liked. But the one thing about being famous or a celebrity, you got built in enemies. I always tell people this. When I was young and dumb in high school, you know, you pick out your clique. And we hated the smart kids. <laughs> and that, when I grew up, I, when I'm good, like. Charles, you, you and your friends, y'all were such morons. Why did you hate the smart kids just because they were smart? Like, I'm like, yeah, we were idiots, man. First of all, they should supposed to be smart. You know, they're like, but you got this stuff like, nah, you're like, I don't like this person because they're smart. And that's just crazy. And a lot of people are like, well, my life sucks. I'm going to just take some shots at some celebrities. And I'm like, yo, man, you need to take a look at yourself in the mirror. Uh, so I just stay out of the free. What about in your playing career? Like, you think you would have did that would have affected your playing career at all? Having social media? Because you, you I mean, you had run-ins, well, you had, you know, you made the news, you told everybody you're not a role model. Yeah. You I, I just think you would have hit. Bar, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You had a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like, you well, think you that would have helped, hurt? You, you, know, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, Eddie, the role model thing is was really a cool thing for me. So I go to Nike and I said, I want to make this commercial. They're like, are you out of your fucking mind? I says, no, I want to make this commercial. They're like, why do you want to make that commercial? I says, I says, I'm noticing something when I go speak at schools. And, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, we still have a lot of segregated schools. And I said, I'm noticing this thing when I go to these predominantly black schools. These kids don't think they can do anything but play sports. Because I always do this unscientific thing. I'm like, well, how many of y'all want to play sports? And like at the black school, like all of them raised their hand. Like I'm like, these kids are brainwashed. And I'm talking about years and years of going and speaking at school. But when I would go to a predominantly white school, only about 10% would raise their hand. I said, what do you want to do? I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be an engineer, a teacher, fireman, police, and things like that. So I says, I'm really concerned that black kids don't think they can do anything other than be entertainers and play sports. And Nike said, this is very risky, Chuck. And I said, I can I can take the heat. But Nike, to their credit, came back to me later and says, 
That's one of the best things we ever did. And 90%, 90% of the letters they got were positive. Because I always joke with my friends, I'm the only person in the world ever got in trouble for telling kids to listen to their parents, Eddie. How about that? <laughs> if you go back and look at that, and go back and look at that commercial, I'm like, parents are role models. But I said, that's how crazy some of this stuff is. I said, wait, I'm getting in trouble for telling kids to listen to their parents? That's crazy. Uh, yeah, but I want to say one thing about you asked me about the social media. Man, I we've done, I've done some crazy things. And if if we had social media, it would have just thrown more gasoline on the fire. But the thing is, with all this social media, you you they're making so much more money today. Would I want to make $5 million and have peace? Or would I like to make $35 million and have everybody have my ass <laughs> on social media? The, that's the question right there. I mean, I mean that, that, that's the question. I mean, and it's a great question. I think, in fairness, I'd rather make $35, $40 million and have everybody up my ass all the time. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, when, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, cause that's a big difference. You know, what, uh, like, number one, I, I, I want to make it clear. I'm proud of these guys. I want you to make as much money as, po- as, as possible. But when you're going to make three, four hundred million dollars, three or four hundred million dollars, that's awesome. I says, in my day, we were going to make 35 to 50, more than likely, if you had a long career. Like, I played for 16 years, and I think my number is like, I think 50 million I made my entire career, somewhere in there. And that's a lot of money. I don't want to poo-poo on that. But if you're going to make that in one year and you just have to deal with some idiots on the internet, <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a major decision right there. I mean, I mean the, fact that, yeah. the fact that our platform has been opened up to pretty much everybody has like brought in so much criticism and you starting to see a lot of professional players like taking that mental break from, you know, playing their sport because it's a lot of, it's a lot to deal with out here as far as the access to, to these uh, athletes and, you know, expectations that we put on these athletes. Like it was definitely a little, it felt a little different back in your day. It's constant, right? And then expectations too, like you said, like, you know, you might get asked about some world news and expect yeah, yeah. it to be up to date on that. Exactly. And if you go, damn, I actually didn't know, you know, yeah. I was at practice. You're an asshole now. Like, yeah. you're not. That's a great point by both of y'all. Great point. I think that it, it's, it's a double-edged sword, though. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to pay you all this money, but we're going to put hell of a expectations on you. It's going to be like, we're going to interrupt you at dinner. <laughs> we're going to be filming you when you don't, we're we going to be filming you. I catch people now and I don't even play filming me from across the room waiting on something to happen just in case. I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot of BS that goes with this. And it is a lot of mental stress. And guys, in my day, there was no opportunity to ask for help or anything like that. I think the NBA is doing some good stuff. I see, you know, I saw the young football player recently. They say, I'm going to take some time away. But you have to accept that goes with this. Yeah. I tell people, you don't get, you don't get to make all this money and have everything your way. Like, everybody's going to be pulling at you. 
Because when they're paying you all that money, they're trying to make money off of you too. So it's a double-edged sword. I, one of my favorite saying is, it's not right, it ain't wrong, that's just how it is. This thing is just how, like, but you know what? And, I, and, I, and I'm not trying to insult anybody. It beats working. <laughs> you know, I tell people all the time, I says, like, you know, because I know a lot of jocks in different sports and we'll be like, yo, man, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of that. I'm sick of this. I'm like, yo, man, go get a nine to five. Mm-hmm. You're bring, bringing your ass back in here quickly. <laughs> I, says, I says, we are the luckiest people in the world. I tell people that even though. When I made the money I made in my day, I was one of the luckiest people in the world. I tell people, I says, yo, man, we are. We are so lucky. And think about this, Eddie. We're the only people who hadn't really got screwed during this pandemic. The jocks across the board. Like, number one, a lot of people have lost their lives. A lot of people have lost their jobs, their businesses, their houses. We as jocks have gotten every single dime we have been owed. We are the luckiest people in the world. They get they get to dribble or throw a stupid little ball, make millions of dollars. Man, I hope the players just like, you know what, man, I'm the luckiest dude in the world and appreciate it because we are. To me, for me to be able to play basketball for a living for 16 years, I'm like, damn. I ain't never had no real job. <laughs> Kevin and I were talking about this like two nights ago. Yeah. Like, when you enjoy what you do, like you're lucky, like you're saying. You know what I mean? And and yeah, I'm I'm sitting here talking to Charles Barkley about <laughs> about yeah. being goofy on social well, media. Man, no, man, it's like to get to do something like we get to do. We're so lucky and blessed. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine last night and um he plays for the Philadelphia Eagles, and he was talking about, I was trying to think about retirement and things like that. And he says, man, it's going to be tough. I said, man, it's tough, but it can't, the end comes for everybody. And then he was telling me about his father just had his knee replaced. And he says, I'm probably going to get knee replacement one day. I said, yeah, that's a big difference, though. You got your your father's been working in the steel mill for 47 years. You just been playing in the NFL for a few years. Mm. He says, I never thought about it like that. <laughs> I says, listen, man, I, I said, we're the luckiest people in the world to get to dribble a, and throw a stupid football or hit a baseball. We make we make more money. A lot of when you're great at it, you make more money in one year. Well, sometimes in one month that people are going to make their whole life if they work every day from nine to five for 30, 40 years. And it's just a blessing. You mentioned retirement. I know a couple years ago you had discussed it, toyed with the idea. You've been a, you've been broadcasting, you've been doing media longer than you were in the NBA now at this point. Yeah. Um, you know, what's next for you? Is, is that now out the window? Are you kind of just focused on what you're doing now or what's the next step for you? The end is close. I don't, listen, I have to be realistic about what have common sense. I'm going to die someday. I don't want to die working. I want to enjoy uh, the back nine of life. I'm not trying to be morbid or whatever. I'll be, uh, I'm 58 years old. Uh, 
I'm try, trying to, I want to work till I'm 60, but like, I don't want to be working till the day I die. I want to enjoy all this damn hard work I put in. <laughs> like, <laughs> listen, I, I like, and obviously I'm blessed to be in a situation, but I'm not going to be clocking in at 69, 70 years old. I want to be on the golf course, traveling the world, traveling the country. <laughs> you know, I want to enjoy, enjoy myself. Cause then you got to say like, yo man, I ain't going to live to be a hundred. I'm going to kill over at some point in the next few years. So I, like I say, I don't want to be at work when I kill over. I want to be on the golf course <laughs> or, or visit in a foreign country somewhere. I, I, and and I'm, I'm very realistic about that. Like I say, man, basketball, I love basketball. It's given me every single thing in my life. I don't have any idea what I'd be doing, but it gave me 16 years. I'm just starting my 21st year on television. And like I say, I, I, but I want to enjoy like I say, I don't want to be going to work when I'm 70 years old. That makes zero sense <laughs> for me. Your retirement from basketball, did you approach it in the same way? Like you you knew you were you were honest about it? I know you joked before, like when I started pump faking, I knew it was time. <laughs> but was it hey, kind of the hey, same hey, mentality? Uh, hey, first of all, hey, ain't no joking there. <laughs> when you got like when you start, hey, dude, first of all, when you can't jump anymore you really are a 6'5 <laughs> you just standing I, I tell people uh, when when I can when I can explode I don't care how big the dude was I could get to him and knock the hell out of him but when you can't explode anymore you're like a little dude running around out there <laughs> and then my so then I'm start I'm pump faking I'm pump faking I'm pump faking and then the players start getting smarter like oh he can't jump anymore so he has to pump fake. And it's so funny. I've seen other guys when they get old and can't explode anymore and they're out there pump faking, pump faking. It's hilarious to watch because I went through the exact same thing. <laughs> but it's also humbling because when you can't play anymore, it's heartbreaking because like, damn, it's time. It's time. And I've seen it with, like I say, I've, like I say, I've been in this thing for 36 years. So I've seen a lot of guys like, yeah, it's time to come. It's time to come on home. It ain't there anymore. But it's heartbreaking because you're going to give up something you love. And it was hard. It's hard to retire. It's really hard to retire because, number one, you don't know what to do. Like, because I t you, you, first of all, you got to find something to do that you like keep you engaged. Like I'm watching games, looking at tapes and things like that. That keeps me going. Uh, but like, you got to find something to do, but man, it sucks when you can't play anymore. It really does. When you can't play anymore, it sucks. Well, look, legendary career either way. Before we let you go, I want to talk about that. You, you made the 50th anniversary team, obviously, then made the 75th. Kevin made the 75th. It was one of those moments that we, we talked and you were like, you did have to take a second and reflect and like, wow, that's, that's crazy. So. Just talk to talk to us about that, about making both those teams. I know your colleague Reggie, uh, you guys had like the mm -hmm. live reaction. He was geeked and, and well deserved for him as well. So, what's it like getting that kind of recognition, even all these years after your career? It's humbling, emotional, and awesome. You think about this: it's, it's seventy-five guys out of all the guys who touched the basketball. Somebody said. You were the one of the best to ever do it. That's pretty humbling. I mean, you think about that. There's a lot of guys on dribble the basketball. And for your peers, 
to say you were the one of the best to do it. It's an amazing thing. Uh, so it's really humbling. But man, and, and it, it really, it's like when you go in the Hall of Fame, it gives you a chance to thank everybody who's helped you along the way. You know, your high school coach, the rec coach, uh, you know, guy, and, and the guys you played with in, in high school, the guys you played with in college, the, the players you played with in the pros and, and the coaches. Like when you win anything like that, it's a lot of people help you get there. So I, it just gave me a chance to call some guys and say, yo, man, I made the team. I just want to say thank you for helping me along the way. I wish I could have told Moses that. Uh, but, you know, I look at Andrew Tony, Maurice Cheeks, Clement Johnson, guys like that. I played with Clint Richardson, Bobby Jones, uh, my college coach, Coach Smith. So it, for me, it was because, like, when you're successful, man, there's so many people along the way who help you. I mean, it's so many people along the way. You get that same feeling. I mean, you just, you see everybody who played the game and how many people aspire to be basketball players and to be amongst that 75 greatest. It's like, a, it's just a real feeling. You know, you put in so much work and to be recognized for something like that. It's just sweet because like you said, your peers voted for you. Um, you know, people that have been around the game for the last 70 years, you know, voted for you. So. It makes you feel like you're doing something right, you, um, you know, when you go in there and work on your game and stuff. So, but in being the same conversation with all the greats, you know, something that we could talk about, you know, it's sweet. It's sweet. It's it's that it's one of those honors you always gonna remember. And like you said, you call up. I called up my moms. I called up my AAU coach from when I was eight, nine years old. I called, you know, people that was around yeah. it for the journey. You know, you hit them up because they know yeah. how special the game is to you. So, it, I, I love that the NBA did that. I just think it was awesome because you can't tell the history of the NBA without any of these guys. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, that's the, that's what I tell people. Like, yo, know, man, when you think about this generation, uh, it's going to be KD, LeBron, Kobe. Like, what these guys have done for the game – James, uh, you know, it, it's amazing uh, to, to just say like, because what, what Eddie, cause Eddie, what it is is continued greatness. Like these guys are so great. They're just continuing what, because the, 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 the two most important NBA figures are Magic Johnson and Larry Bird because they saved the NBA. People forget my first year in the NBA was David Stern's first year. Remember, the NBA was too black, uh, too, too, too much, too druggy, addicted. And the average salary was only $250,000. $250,000. That was in 1984-85. And then Magic and Bird came along and changed everything. I can never thank those two guys enough. Then Michael took the torch. And like, and now the average salary is like $12 million, <laughs> which is awesome. But you can't tell the NBA story without those guys, even like Dr. J and all those guys. So I think it's important. And when you put KD, LeBron, Dirk, 
all those guys kept going, that's just continue greatness. Because you have to have greatness for your product to flourish. You, we could like we could put we can go get a bunch of basketball players off the street and and, and fill up an NBA roster. Nobody gonna watch that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's gonna watch that. You have to have excellence, excellence and greatness for people to follow you and your sport. Plain and simple. I agree, man. I, I tell this guy all the time. You know, it's a, there's an added layer of importance when someone like him, someone like LeBron. Kobe, like you mentioned, Steph, like a historical figure, and they're in the game. It makes the game matter more. And it's like, there's other great NBA games too, but it's just a little bit different if one of those guys is in the building. So I agree. I mean, we, we could probably see some great games at the gym, and we love basketball, so we'll watch. Yeah. But it's different when KD's out there and, you know, one of the 75 greatest, right? It, it just matters a little more. Yeah, like in every sport – there's really, really good players. I, anybody who's in the NBA is a good player. But there's very few great players. I mean, there's a lot of good players. There's a lot of good baseball players. There's a lot of good football players. But when you see Aaron Rodgers play or Tom Brady, you're like, oh, that's greatness right there. And there's some other guys. Oh, he's he's pretty good. But yeah. he ain't those dudes. <laughs> yeah. Like, and there's like I say, I like, oh, KD's great. LeBron's great. Like, they're different. Like, those other guys can play, but those, oh, those, those guys are better. So, but without that continued excellence and greatness, uh, the NBA won't flourish. And let me tell you something. I feel really good about where the game is because, you know, LeBron's coming toward the end. We got Katie, we got Giannis. They're going to be the face of the league for the next 10 years. And, 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 and I'm not saying that just because I'm on this podcast. I think that somewhere in Katie's life, he, he's, he went from being the greatest dude ever, and then he became a villain. <laughs> and then now he, the people are like, well, he wasn't a bad guy. It was the same way with LeBron. Yeah. LeBron went from being greatness and like, we hate your ass going to Miami. <laughs> and then he goes back to Cleveland and like, I mean, he's a great dude. And so I think KD's like, everybody's like, they were mad at him for going to Golden State. And then he leaves and like, man, he's a great player and he's a good dude. But it's it's funny watching public perception because public perception is always like a wave. It's going all over the place. Yeah, yeah. But it's great to see, see him back to being number one 100%, being the face of the league. Him and Giannis are both the face of the league. And obviously, like I said, LeBron's on the downside of his career. But to have KD and Giannis, those are two guys that are going to be the face of the league for the next 10 years. And I think we're in a great place because of that. Well, appreciate you being here, man, and uh, thanks so much for doing this. And we love what you do on TV, obviously. You know, we're the biggest voices when it comes to basketball now. you pissing everybody off every other night. <laughs> yeah, appreciate <laughs> hey, you, Hey, listen, man. man. Listen, it's an honor to be on the podcast. You keep doing your thing, Eddie. Kevin, you keep doing your thing. And, uh, hey, Eddie, hopefully I'll get to meet you sometime face-to-face. -face. We got to make it happen, man. Whenever I'm down there or you up here, let's make it happen. <laughs>
Let's make it happen. You, hey, Kevin, take care of yourself, man. I'll see you somewhere soon. All right, man. You too. Thanks Appreciate so much, you. bro. All right. Peace.